0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Peaceful, Loving, Vibrant podcast. I'm your host, Anikia Nelson. And in this episode, I chat with my friend and midwife, Angelica Malone, about healing from miscarriage, about one in four women experience a pregnancy loss, and I am one of those women. So it's my honor to share my story with you, as well as some really tangible resources, for anyone else who's going through this. So let's dive in.
1: Uh, Welcome everyone to the Peaceful, Loving, Vibrant podcast. I am so excited today to have my friend um, and midwife, Angelica Malone with us. Hi, Angelica. Hello. Hello. So we are going to dive in and talk specifically about healing after miscarriage, and uh, I think it's no coincidence that we're recording this actually right after Black Maternal Health Week ended uh, here Mm -hmm. in the U.S. Um, I've been really struck as I've been on my journey after miscarriage just with how many of us as Black women are affected by miscarriage and infant loss.
0: So,
1: Angelica, why don't we start out with you telling everyone who you are, and if you would, in your intro, could you include what three words describe how you want to show up in the world? Because that's actually how I named this podcast.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, as Anikia said, I'm Angelica Malone, and I'm a midwife. I'm actually a home birth midwife, which means I specialize in birth that happens outside of the hospital. I have a master's degree in midwifery. And during that time that I studied midwifery, is actually where Nikki and I met. So our journey has been um, together for a few years now. I am a mother. I have two girls. They're seven and nine years old, and I call them my little women because. I like to remember that I'm raising women. I'm not just raising people who will be tiny girls forever. And so Mm -hmm. hopefully preparing them for walking in whatever their calling is as women and not just, you know, people kind of along for the ride as children. I have a husband who I've been married to for 14 years. He's active duty Coast Guard. And that's also where we met. Um, I was in the Coast Guard. Um, when I graduated high school at 17, I joined the Coast Guard. And that's actually where my interest into healthcare started. I was a corpsman for six years, which I absolutely loved. Um, joining the Coast Guard was one of the best decisions I ever made. It allowed me to get opportunities to work in healthcare, to really be challenged. I worked aboard a ship as my first unit. If anyone's familiar with the military, you have units that you're stationed at. And so during that time I worked with the chief and myself, so a supervisor. And myself, we worked on a ship caring for around 150 crew, member, crew members, plus or minus whoever else came on board. And so during that time, I got the opportunity to do general, like primary care. Essentially, that's what um, corpsmen um, do on a ship in the Coast Guard. We don't have physicians or nurses or anything like that. So everything from a strep throat to STIs, detecting for STIs to vaccines to medevacing people off for major healthcare emergencies, that was what I did. I was also an EMT. Wow. Yeah, so that was my first entrance into healthcare. It showed me how much I loved healthcare, how good I was at it. I actually had the opportunity to have really challenging experiences and then be rewarded for that. I was the Coast Guard Atlantic Area Sailor of the Year um, as a third class. So that was a really big deal and showed me just how much I loved healthcare but also was meant to be in this role. And so I realized during my time in the coast guard how much I really enjoyed working with women, though I primarily cared for men, but women when they came in, they always had these really dynamic stories and wanted to share them and was was looking for something beyond just like a band-aid to fix them. You know, men came in and they were kind of like, just do whatever, tell me what to do so I can get out of here. But women were like, well, let me tell you the story. And I really enjoyed that. And I really realized that I wanted to be working with women primarily. And I wanted to be able to sit and hear stories and then be kind of a pillar in their life, especially as they were making these life transitions. And I thought I wanted to be an OBGYN. And I, I got out of the military specifically with the goal of becoming um I'm going into medicine, but along the way, I realized that what I really was supposed to be doing was becoming a midwife. And then even more, particularly, I was supposed to be a home birth midwife. So far from what I originally thought, right? I love being challenged. I still love medicine. I still love science and research. And that's heavily a part of what I do as a midwife. It's not just, you know, throwing herbs at someone though. I love herb- herbalism. And so anyway, um, I now practice as a midwife here in Puerto Rico, and I have my own practice called soul midwifery and wellness. Um, Yeah, my three words are light, bold, and knowledgeable. I really hope that I travel light and that um, when I enter into a space, I don't just come and bombard, but I actually come in and I provide like a lifting of spirits and that I'm there to encourage and i'm not just you know clearing the way i actually create space for others but bold in that i'm not timid that when i'm encountered with adversity i can rise to the occasion and then i really pride myself being on being a knowledgeable person that's constantly evolving and learning and adding to i guess my my knowledge bank
1: i love that and I can definitely say from our interactions that you embody all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I have really been struck by how knowledgeable you are um, about so many things when it comes to women's health. And I know I've told you this many times <laughs> before. Uh, and certainly, I remember the first time we met um, at Trap Vinyasa actually. Oh,
2: yeah. you certainly,
1: <laughs> You certainly do bring that that light to the spaces you occupy. So, thank you for sharing that. And I really like how you took us back to the Coast Guard. Uh I don't think I realized how long you served in the Coast Guard and how that was your introduction to healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, it really struck me when you said you enjoyed listening to women's stories because you are the first person that I told any of my birth stories to. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I take that them. as an honor I'm yeah, really honored I Anikia mean, you.
1: yeah you are just really great at holding space so thank you for listening
0: of course, um, you're welcome
1: for the purposes of this episode I did want to keep things high level uh, mm-hmm. in terms of my story but I will share a little bit um, of w- how we got here so I lost twin boys, uh, Kendrick and Kian, at 15 and 18 weeks. Um, By now, it's been about four months since I lost Kendrick. And I miss them every day. There's definitely a hole in our family that they left. And I really appreciate you. You know, not only holding space for my story and my grief, but also providing a lot of resources for me to heal, uh, both Mm -hmm. physically and emotionally. Um, I would say to kind of to give everyone a peek into what is in my grief toolbox. I would say, importantly, I've been giving myself the space and permission to feel all my feelings. And there are so many that come up and they come up when they want to. It doesn't seem like there's any real um, prediction to the triggers. So just being able to give myself the space and allow myself to feel what I'm feeling has been really great for me. Uh, Also talking, like talking to you, just, you know, telling you what happened from start to finish and also writing about what happened and what I'm feeling um, my therapist is clutch. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I love her so much and I'm so grateful for her. Um, my husband has been an amazing partner as we've both been going through this. Yes. Um, and also, you know, family and friends that I feel I can trust with my grief. You know, mm-hmm. those that I can really trust with my story and my feelings. Those that aren't going to tell me to find a silver lining. Um, journaling a support group that I'm a part of, Mm -hmm. um, also talking to Mm -hmm. pastors as well. I think Mm -hmm. as a result of this experience, I have had the biggest opportunity for growth in my faith
2: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: because it's been the biggest challenge to my faith. And I feel like I've heard from God in ways that I hadn't before.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, this book, I have it right here, Mending Invisible Wings, that you suggested, yes. has yeah. been really, really helpful. I will admit some of the activities are a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> they are. <laughs> but I, I get the spirit of it. And one of my favorite activities so far, I'm still working through it, uh, was writing a letter to the boys. Yes. Um, Because there's so much that I want to say even still. So, Mm -hmm. and then last but definitely not least, what we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about tonight is uh, you and the botanical plan that you created for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Just so nourishing and so needed and also just allowed me to get to know my body in a different way. Than I had yeah. before. So I'd love to kind of hand it over to you for a little bit to talk about what is botanical medicine um, and kind of your process for creating the individualized treatment
0: plans.
2: So, botanical medicine is essentially the use of herbs and plants for the like addressing of any issues. It doesn't have to actually have to just be like health concerns. It could be mental health. It could be um, a spiritual type thing. So it's just the use of plants in those ways. Um, And during my study at Bastyr, which is where I got my master's in midwifery, I specialized in botanical medicine for midwifery care. So everything from menstruation, conception, all the way through to um, like pregnancy postpartum and even a little bit of like talking about menopause. So Essentially, there is research about plants, especially ones that have been around for a very long time, like ashwagandha or calendula or tea tree. Those are all uh, plants that have been used for many, many, many years. And so we have good evidence about how those things can be used to address um, maybe a bacterial infection or how they impact wound healing on the skin. And then, of course, there are the kind of the metaphysical things that are maybe associated with the plant that people either sense or feel when they're around the plant or a culture or community has used during a particular season in a person's life or um, have been a part of a ritual or experience. And so as an herbalist, I do Western herbalism. That's kind of the angle that I practice from with a little bit of an Ayurvedic lens. You are trying to think of plants, not just in this Kind of the way that we think of allopathic medicine, like if you take this thing to address this other issue. We try not to think of plants like that. We try and think of all of the parts of the plant. So we think of it energetically. We think about it based on the constituents or the properties of the plant. So kind of like tea tree um, has properties that make it antimicrobial or antibacterial. But also there's like the aroma that's with, a tea, with tea tree oil. So depending on how you're offering it to someone, you might want to consider do they, how do they handle strong smells? Um, Where are they applying it? There are obviously um, volatile oils associated with it that can be strong or burn the skin. And so you're thinking of plants, like I said, not just from this direct, like using it to heal or um, address this health condition, but kind of all together looking at the big picture of the plant. And that happens when you spend time with the plant. So, you know, people can think that kind of sounds really woo woo, but that could mean (laughs) like watching where it grows, watching when it thrives and when it um, doesn't do so well, what are the conditions where it springs up? Um, things like that, but also then paying attention to the person that you're giving it to. Like if you're giving it something to a very fiery person with a very strong, boisterous personality that's constantly kind of in this heated state, sweats very easily or has very flushed skin or um, is suffering with maybe like acne or something that's very hot, then maybe you would want to be thinking about herbs that kind of have a more cooling property like mint. Um and so whenever I create a plant, I'm thinking of all, about the plant itself, those little pieces of the plant, like I said, the growing properties of it, the constituents of the plant, you know, the energetics in that manner. And then I'm also thinking of similarly of those same type of things within a person and trying to figure out which things would go well together. So um, it's kind of like getting to know the plant, getting to know the person you're serving really well. And then you can create a plan that really just resonates with the person. And of course, you're always looking out for allergic reactions or things that they're sensitive to um, and asking the person how it feels when they use it. Because even if I think I've kind of, in quotes, read the person very well, and I understand the plant very well, obviously, when the person uses it, that's a whole different story. And so you do want to take that into account. And so herbal medicine or botanical medicine is essentially Supporting someone and helping them to have this optimal well-being with the use of plants, we're not able to say that it treats or is able to um, cure anything. That's that's something we can't we can't say. So you'll often hear someone saying like it will support or it will encourage or balance things like that, which in my mind is a little bit frustrating because it almost adds to the perception that herbalism and botanical medicine is purely metaphysical and is very woo-woo and as if there is no research evidence about it, but there are. And so at this point in our country, we can't say those things when we're using plants to address a condition or a concern. And so um, you'll often find kind of vague terminology used to describe how a plant can be used to help someone.
1: So are those restrictions because of um, regulations and that sort of thing?
2: Yes. Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Um, that introduction. It, so as much as I, um, I get what you're saying about, you know, those regulations restricting how we talk about botanical medicine, it's actually kind of refreshing to me to not hear that direct correlation like this, treats this. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like in our healthcare system, there is very much a disease model and not a wellness model. Absolutely. Um, There's not really that support for prevention. And like you said, optimizing your well being. And I think there's really a place. um, It sounds like botanical medicine can play that role in you know, helping people take a step back and thinking not just about this problem in isolation that they have, yes. but how can, how can they support their entire well-being. One of the things that struck me when we talked while you were creating my plan is how detailed your questions were. <laughs> <laughs> I was not yes. expecting that. of <laughs> sense. So awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah, we want to know about, you know, your bowels, we want to know about, you know, what do you like to eat? What is it that you, you know, how do you sleep? How do you feel like all of that really makes a difference. And that's a part kind of of the Ayurvedic piece. But also just, you know, as I'm thinking about combining certain herbs, if you're someone who doesn't like hot drinks, or you're someone who doesn't already kind of feels very oily or heavy, maybe an oil wouldn't be something that I give you. So it's, It's really important mode of obtaining the herb, like the way that you're going to take it, whether or not you're going to rub it on your skin, you're going to drink it in a hot drink, you're going to make it into, um, I don't know, a decoction on the stove. That all really plays a part. Like, does this person need a moment of sitting over the stove and smelling the aroma of this thing brewing? Is that a Hmm. part of, would, would that whole process add and help them And addressing what they're experiencing. Would the process of like rubbing this on their body also be a part of the healing process? Or does this person need, you know, to sit in a bathtub and just sit in the herbs? And maybe it's not only about the herbs, it's really about the process of sitting and just Mm -hmm. allowing themselves to think. And so we try and think of all of that when we create a plan. And so by asking these detailed questions, we get a better picture of who you are um, that we can't really just it's a little bit more difficult to ask in a general conversation.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that really resonates with me. Um, I think one of the, one of the real benefits of the plan that you created for me is that it allowed me to do something to take care Mm -hmm. of myself at a time when I really was stuck as to what do I do? You know, like,
2: Absolutely.
1: It's, it's postpartum without the baby. Like when you have the baby, you know what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> yes. You're supposed to be taking care of the baby. And then after miscarriage and after, you know, the weeks that I spent really with my health deteriorating, I was at a loss as to what do I do? So even just like brewing the tea or mm-hmm. brewing the the bath and sitting in the bath, it was so healing for me in terms mm-hmm. of like, I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Like this is for me, uh, with the added benefit that, you know, it helps,
0: helps with womb healing. So
1: mm-hmm. kind of on that note, what would you say are the major things that we should be considering when it comes to healing after miscarriage?
2: This is a great question, Anita I think you touched on it uh, just now when you said that you, did it, you didn't have the baby, but you had the postpartum. Mm-hmm. And I have just seen repeatedly that I'm not sure if it's the, the mom or the person who puts it upon themselves to think like, because I don't have the baby, then I don't deserve a postpartum or there's nothing I need to do. Or if maybe co- the community and the people around them kind of don't see a baby. And so then they don't think that the, the mother needs any kind of support. But it's very, very common that after a loss, there's nothing done to support the mom, that mm-hmm. there's just this kind of moving on. And of course she's still grieving and others might be grieving, but there's nothing that really acknowledges that the person's body has gone through this very, very big change and shift. And so I think that when you said the ability to like do something was is huge because mm-hmm. often in our healthcare system, we almost feel like we're passengers in our health. Like people are telling us what to take, where to go, what time you'll do this, what things you need to do in preparation for this, but there's not really any control that you feel like you have over it. And miscarriage is often something that feels like it has stolen your sense of control or your autonomy. You kind of feel like it's all been taken from you. And so A big part of the plan was, like you said, like giving you the opportunity to do things and then also things that were a part of nourishing and healing yourself. So a couple of things that I think are important. One is nutrition. I talk about nutrition all the time and not nutrition and like eat your veggies, blah, 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 that kind of thing. It's more about the act of nourishing yourself. And so for some people that might be like making a huge, big, fresh fruit salad You know, cutting up some grapes and pineapple and mangoes and raspberries and putting in some blueberries and putting it in the refrigerator and that being yours for the next like two or three days to just snack on throughout the day. That act of eating like these really vibrant, rich fruits and kind of savoring it for yourself and eating it in a beautiful bowl and like knowing that it's just there for you. That is a healing thing, and that's what I mean by nutrition. Where for other people, it might be they're feeling very frail. They're feeling like they maybe they had a lot of blood loss, or maybe there was a, you know, a period of lots of weakness for some reason. That person, I would encourage something like bone broth or some type of veggie broth with like reishi and uh, nourishing um, adaptogens, things that are going to help with immune health. A little bit of licorice in there,
1: licorice root,
2: so nutrition is just like this act of nourishing your body. And it doesn't always have to do with exactly the food, the specific food, but it is the specific food is a part of it, like the color of the foods, the fact that like, some of these foods are foods that you rarely eat, except for if if it's a special occasion, or this is usually a food that you make for other people, but you don't make for yourself. That's Mm -hmm. all a part of the nutrition and the nourishing piece. And so that's one of the first things. The second thing I would say is just creating space, like you were saying earlier about feeling all the feelings. So often, you know, we can just feel like this certain emotion or this thought is not warranted around this event, either it wasn't big enough, you know, like, it wasn't significant enough, the event, so I shouldn't feel this way, or, you know, at least I am healthy, or, Mm. you know, at least I have another child or something like that those kind of thoughts and feelings can come in and then you feel as though you can't express these other feelings that you have or you feel like certain thoughts are not okay and so I really want to encourage people just to say it's okay I can go through each of these emotions and I can have these thoughts and feelings and it doesn't have to be that it doesn't have to be that I'm not grateful for something else that I have Um, so that's the other thing and then really pulling in support And oftentimes in early pregnancy, people don't share that they're, that they're expecting because they're worried about a loss, which is totally understandable. But something I also often am am asked by people is like, when should I start to share? And I always have to bring this, well, I don't have to bring it up, but I usually do say, I say, well, if you're a very private person where you like to deal with things just between yourself and maybe a partner or a mother or a friend or something like that, then maybe just share it with that person. But if you're somebody who knows that you like to process out loud, and you wouldn't want to feel alone, you would like people to come in and be able to support you, then just go ahead and share early. Because if you were to have a loss, you would like those people to kind of just be able to step up and step in without having to tell the whole story from the Mm -hmm. very beginning. And if they didn't know, it's very hard for them to they don't know how far along you were. They don't know like how much you knew if there was, you know, maybe you had genetic testing done and that's how you found out there was an issue or that really it was related to the loss. And so I just kind of tell people consider what kind of support you would like if you ended up having an issue or a concern and that can kind of guide who you share it with. So definitely community of some sort.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I'm like taking notes furiously (laughs) (laughs) because there's so much good stuff there. I mean, bone broth, bone broth is now a staple in our house. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, uh, just how weak I was after losing Kendrick just from all the, the blood loss and how anemic I was. I remember lying in bed with my heart racing just because I was so anemic. So uh, incorporating bone broth along with, you know, the iron infusions and everything else that I was doing um, was really nourishing. Like you said, and now we make rice with bone broth. It's just what we do. Um, and then creating space for our feelings. was So, so crucial. I mean, I've had feelings of guilt. I've had feelings of sadness, anger, um, fear, fear. Uh, you know, trusting my body again has been huge. So, just being able to give myself permission to feel all of those things in a way that, frankly, I was not allowed to feel those feelings growing mm-hmm. up in the in the home and the culture that I grew up in. Yeah. Um, being able to give myself that permission has been crucial,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: it's been a journey there are some times when I feel like I need to cry and I can't Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and I just have to wait it out. And eventually, you know, whether it's hours or days or weeks later, the the tears come and it's very healing. So, Mm -hmm. and then support uh, our community has shown up for us in so many ways, whether it's, you know, bringing a meal by or, um, sending a text message, you know, several of our friends and family donated in Kendrick and Kian's honor as well. Um, So it's just been really lovely to see our community show up for us and amid all the grief and the difficult feelings, one of the memories I have right after losing our boys is just feeling surrounded by loving kindness from everyone so yeah um I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit more about your midwifery practice um yeah. you know earlier you mentioned that you're a home birth midwife and that's not what you expected to do can you talk mm-hmm. about kind of what your practice entails and um your personal brand I feel like you are you know for lack of a better term more than a midwife you have a a lot to offer um so can you share a bit about that
2: yeah thank you nikia um so yes so my practice is a home birth practice i also offer lactation services and botanical medicine medicine consultations Uh, i also do perinatal wellness sessions so that's virtual and in person for women around the world and so it can that perinatal wellness sessions Involve conversations about everything from what to expect during your pregnancy to how to navigate each of the steps of your pregnancy, and even after you're you give birth, like struggling with motherhood. Um, I work with moms t- around the world, honestly, who are just going through different things, trying to figure out how to balance um, motherhood with their personal like goals. I talk to mothers who are trying to figure out you know, the system of healthcare and whether or not they want a midwife or they want a doctor, they want a home birth midwife, they want a hospital-based midwife, what books to read, like how to find the evidence on things, like whether or not they should schedule an induction for a large baby. So we kind of just span the whole like perinatal wellness or perinatal season. So um, I do a few different things as a part of my practice. And Honestly, it started many years ago. So I don't want to go too far back. But essentially, I was going into my fourth year of undergrad, I was getting ready to take the MCATs to apply for medical school. And I was sitting in Starbucks, taking, you know, sitting for finals at the end of the third year. And my husband gave me a call and said, Hey, Angelica, we have to move. And he like show he told me all the places that had been told to him that we were going to possibly move. And there were all these very cold places. We were living in Buffalo, New York at the time. And it was like Maine and Michigan and all these different places. And something inside me told me to ask him to ask the person to go back and look again. And he hung up the phone, he called that person back and they did. And he called me back and said, Oh, it says Puerto Rico there's Puerto Rico as an option. Would you like to do that? Would you like to go there? And I said, yes. But around that same time, I had been struggling to figure out if I really wanted to continue on in the way that I was pursuing medicine, because I literally was dedicating all my time to being the most ideal med school candidate as possible. I was volunteering, I was doing all the things. And that was my whole world. And I was sacrificing my health and my future, you know, family planning type thing. And I thought that was what I was supposed to be doing. But I began to struggle and think like, it doesn't seem like this is the way that I'm supposed to do it. And so when he called me and said that we had to move, I really was like, man, this sounds like an awesome opportunity. But at the same time, shouldn't I just finish what I've been working on? You know, like, I was in this very rigorous program at my university that was preparing people for medical school and the school had its own med school. And so they were very good at kind of grooming you for applying to medical school. And so I thought if I leave or if I go to some other university that's not going to have this type of program, it's going to make it so that harder for me to get in. And so I had really been battling spiritually about what to do. And by that time he called me, I was ready, I think, to just take a break and and see what it is that I was supposed to be doing, or at least kind of recalibrating. So we ended up moving Mm -hmm. to Puerto Rico. And long story short, I had my first daughter while we were here. And I began to see these gaps in the support here. And that's where my lactation journey started. I started doing lactation back in 2000. And I think it was 14. And just ever since then, I've kind of just added to my my skills, and I grew up as an expat living outside the United States a lot, and just interfacing with different cultures and communities, and that really helped me when I was here to support the families that lived here, either because this is their home or because they're, you know, here for work or something like that. But um, just along the way, I began to see these areas that were missing, and. The support for women and families. And so that's kind of how I got to what I do today as a midwife during lactation, also doing botanical medicine and these perinatal wellness sessions, just because I've seen these gaps that are there. So that's kind of my practice as it is at the moment. Yeah. Uh,
1: throughout your story, you know, especially as you're talking about Um, trying to figure out where your path would lead you and, you know, whether you're making the right decisions, I can relate to that at different points in my journey and Mm -hmm. meditation has really supported me in that. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious how you started meditating and, and what has your meditation practice kind of evolved into? Yeah.
2: So definitely meditation and prayer are closely linked for me. So I I think maybe after I had my second daughter is really when I started trying to find a way to do some type of consistent meditative practice that wasn't just meditating on scripture. So that was the first thing I've always kind of done is like scripture has been my, my biblical scripture has been like my base, but I remember I was having trouble with sleeping and anxiety and such. And so a friend had recommended an app to me and that's kind of where I started. And it really just helped to calm my mind at night. If I woke up in the middle of the night, it was a good thing to kind of go to. And usually those those things that I started off with were someone uh, sharing some type of story or insight or something like that. And then me kind of using that to relax. Over time, it's kind of gone back to being scripture again. And right now, my practice very much centers on waking up in the morning, finding a, uh, having a scripture that I read, considering what that scripture means to me, how it... Um, is going to influence my day and kind of trying to keep that at least the running theme for the morning. Oftentimes my, my brain starts to scatter, but sometimes I'll even come back to it later in the day, but using that as a guidance for prayer or a guidance for, you know, my actions and my motives. And so it's really just been this grounding piece um, for me. And there are times when I go back to the type of meditation where it's somebody sharing some type of thought or, um, I guess, a script scripted meditation, um, uh-huh. especially when I'm, when I'm looking for something to kind of calm my mind for a moment and, you know, cause me to just like take focus off of something else. But it has evolved over time. And sometimes I go back to things that have worked um, at other seasons of life. But I'm always really interested in how I can um, take themes that are scripturally based and use them to continually... Um, guide what I'm doing and guide how I'm thinking and even help to recalibrate my feelings. And I feel like my feelings are kind of overtaking um, everything else. And sometimes my emotions can lead me astray. And so using that as something to just bring me back to where I, what I know is truth is really important.
1: Like a grounding and kind of like an anchor. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And you're the first person I've had on the show so far that has talked about the connection between meditation and scripture. Mm
2: -hmm. I think
1: one of the myths about meditation is that um, Christians can't meditate or Christians can't do yoga or, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I actually vividly remember writing in a lift uh, in Seattle coming from Trap Vinyasa, <laughs> and got, got into a conversation with my Lyft driver this Ethiopian guy and he you know saw my yoga mat and asked me where I was coming from and I don't know how we got to talking about Jesus I love Jesus so it makes sense but <laughs> he he was saying you know what are you doing you know Christians can't do yoga so I wonder if you could talk, Angelica, a little bit about that connection for you between meditation and your faith, and whether at any point there was kind of conflict or opposition between the two.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. And the whole yoga piece, I love yoga. I've done yoga for a very long time. And I, I, it's a when I'm doing it consistently, I notice a difference in the way that I feel and the way that, you know, I just go throughout my days. And I've had that kind of struggle before, of you know, people saying Christians can't do yoga and such. So I won't go too much into that. But um, having lived in many places around the world, what I've come and I've met many Christians along the way, I grew up in a Christian family, though it wasn't always biblically sound, like people said they were Christians, but I can't really say that that's what it felt like or that's what I observed. But Mm -hmm. what I find is that in different areas of the world, there are different spiritual battles, there are different hurdles that people are dealing with. And so then there are different kind of, I don't want to say boundaries, because we don't necessarily create any boundaries, like, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Like, I think we're supposed to be listening to the Holy Spirit and reading, obviously, what is clear in the Bible. But what I have found is that depending on where someone lives, there are different issues that 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 church community has or that body of the of the church has and that really influences the things that are culturally acceptable among those believers right Mm -hmm. and so if you're in an area where i don't know like drunkenness is a big deal like it's it's considered normal to be drunk all the time and like you know there's no kind of um I don't want to say boundaries because it's not boundaries, but there's no control, right? There's no self control mm-hmm. around drinking. Then I could understand a Christian who has grown up in that community to then move to an area where drinking is very common, but not drunkenness, right? Like people go to bars and hang out, Christians. That could be very concerning to them, right? They're like, right. how could you be a Christian and drink? And so if you live in an area maybe where spirituality conflated with Christianity is common, And you often see people kind of take things that are not biblically sound and put them into the Christian faith and vice versa, people who are not Christians to take little pieces of the Christian faith and put them into their secular lives, but not fully, right? Then I can understand a Christian in that area being like, you couldn't do yoga. You can't meditate because there's no good way of doing that. And so Mm -hmm. I try, like when I meet people who like, you know, I know many people from who've lived in different countries in africa and they really have experienced things that feel like severe attacks from demonic forces and such and so anything that kind of seems similar to that or where there it looks to be like something they've seen in that way i can see why they don't think it's good a good idea and so Mm -hmm. i constantly have to decide Okay, I'm going to take a moment and pray about this. I'm going to consult with other believers. I'm going to consult with, you know, spiritual leaders that I believe are are more well versed in scripture than me and ask them about this specific thing. And then I also try and think about like, how would this be perceived um, within my church community and outside of my church community. And then I make a decision based on that. And I ask the Holy Spirit to give me guidance. And so that's how I usually decide, like, is this thing good to do? Or should I not do it while I'm here? Or maybe I should choose to do this privately. Um, And that's, that's kind of how I've always navigated things, because I'm constantly living in different environments, like what I experienced here, a very Catholic, you know, island is vastly different than what it was like being in Seattle, which is highly, you know, atheist and secular. And so, I don't want to just be somebody who shifts and changes all the time. Right. Like I said, I've been yoga since I graduated high school, but I also have realized like certain classes are okay for me to attend and others are not. And some meditation, um, um, meditation scripts or apps or things like that are okay. And I feel um, secure in following them or listen to the- listening to them and having them be something that subconsciously I'm intaking. And other times I'm like, no, this is clearly not for me. But I try not to say a general statement for everyone, because if the Bible doesn't really give a very strong stance on it, I can't either. But I can say, for me, this seems okay. And so Mm -hmm. I've decided to do this, or this doesn't seem okay for me. And so I've decided that I won't do that.
1: I love that. Thank you for giving that cultural context um, Mm -hmm. and really the personal side of it, too, there's a scripture coming to mind that talks about testing and approving what the will of God is. And Mm -hmm. I think that's really what you kind of just took us through is, you know, considering um, how you feel about the practice, perceptions based on where you are at the time, uh, really how it might result in a representation of the Christian faith. Uh, mm-hmm. That you may or may not want. So, thank you for taking us through that. And I think importantly, emphasizing that there are no blanket statements when it comes to um, meditation or spiritual practice. It's really about figuring out what's best for you. So, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. One of um, one of my fears going through yoga teacher training was that I would, you know, encounter something that was really out of sync with my faith
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and uh, my process was similar to yours really just kind of taking things as they come um praying about it and taking what fits and leaving the rest like Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know not not everything has to become part of who I am or how I practice but really making it personal
0: so thank you for that yeah you're welcome well, before we
1: close with a guided meditation, uh, can you tell everyone where they can find you?
2: Yes. So I have a website, which is my name, Angelica Malone.com. And that's Angelica with a J. You can also um, contact me through there. There's a contact me page. You can also email me. My email address is hello at Angelica Malone.com, And I'm on Instagram. Um, with my practice, it's at soul midwifery and wellness
1: and that soul like sun in spanish S O L. yes
2: yes s-o-l as in Sun in spanish
1: and i'll put all of that in the show notes um thank you so much angelica this was really really good for me and i know it'll be for everyone who listens as well
2: thank you anika for having me you're a special person in my life
1: and i really feel honored
2: that you would have me on and even allow me to share a bit about my faith. I don't often share my faith in this way. And so I really feel grateful that I could share it here with you and
1: your listeners. Thank you for sharing. So we are going to close with a brief meditation on embodiment. And basically what that means is coming back to our bodies, the real like physical sensation of being in our bodies. And the reason I chose this theme for today and for this episode is um, actually right after like in the moment of losing Kendrick, the immediate feeling I had was wanting to leave my body. You know, Mm -hmm. it had been a really traumatic experience in itself. But you know, over the past several weeks before that, just lots of trauma and pain in my body. And so my body didn't feel safe in that moment. And throughout the grieving process too, I've had moments where I felt like I was not really present. And so I, I want to lead us in a practice to come back to our bodies, come back to the present moment where our power is. And, uh, and so let's, we can go ahead into that. It'll be just about five minutes and then we'll close. Does that sound
0: all right? That sounds great. All right. So if you would find a comfortable seat of your choice, you can close your eyes if that feels safe or soften your gaze, maybe lower your gaze. And start to notice your breath. Begin to notice each inhale and each exhale without trying to change it. And let's bring our attention to our feet. Maybe your feet are on the ground. And you can notice the earth rising up to support you. I am supportive. Slowly begin to deepen your breath. Each inhale and exhale, remembering your breath as an anchor. From here, I invite you to bring your attention to any area of your body that feels activated right now. You could be sensing your heartbeat. You could be feeling physical tension. Pain, racing thoughts. And with your next breath, give yourself full permission to feel what you feel. From here, turn your attention to any areas in your body that feel calm and relaxed. You may need to scan from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. just notice any areas that feel calm, peaceful. And let's use the next three breaths to breathe into those calm, peaceful areas on your own breath and paining. From here, let's open our field of sensation to the entire body. And we'll close by placing a hand on our hearts, our heart space. And let's close by simply whispering words of kindness to ourselves. whether that's I am supportive, I am worthy of love, I am enough, or any other words that come intuitively to you and are expressions of kindness and compassion for yourself. Gently wiggle your fingers and toes, bringing gentle movement back into your body. If your eyes are closed, you can open them. Return to the present moment. And thank you so much for meditating with me. And thank you, Angelica, for your time.
2: Yes, thank you for having me.